1: Participants, please stand by. Your conference is ready to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the first Capital REITs Q3 Results Conference Call. During the presentation, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. And I would like to turn the conference over to Allison. Please proceed with your presentation.
2: Thank you and good afternoon, everyone. In discussing our financial and operating performance and in responding to your questions during today's call, we may make forward-looking statements. These statements are based on our current estimates and assumptions, many of which are beyond our control and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in these forward-looking statements. A summary of these underlying assumptions, risks, and uncertainties is contained in our various securities filing, including our Q3 MD&A, our MD&A for the year ended December 31st, 2020, and our current AIF, which are available on CDAR and on our website. These forward-looking statements are made as of today's date and except as required by securities law, we undertake no obligation to publicly update or revise any such statements. During today's call, we will also be referencing certain financial measures that are non-IFRS measures. These do not have standardized meanings prescribed by IFRS and should not be construed as alternatives to net income or cash flow from operating activities determined in accordance with IFRS. Management provides these measures as a complement to IFRS measures to aid in assessing the REIT's performance. These non IFRS measures are further defined and discussed in our MDNA, which should be read in conjunction with this conference call. I will now turn the call over to Adam.
3: Okay, hey, thank you very much, Allison. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for our third quarter conference call. In addition to Allison, with me today are several members of the FCR team, including Jordy Robbins and Neil Downey, both of whom you will hear from shortly. Our third quarter results are reflective of the momentum that we discussed last quarter when we said that it feels as if we're at a major turning point in terms of the pandemic's impact on our business and the related economic recovery. Our leasing statistics were consistently robust and continued to demonstrate the outcome of pairing high-quality real estate with a passionate team. Occupancy was a solid 95.9% the same level as Q2. Notwithstanding occupancy was consistent year over year as well, or down 10 basis points to be exact, same property NOI was up a healthy 4.2%, primarily owing to growth in rental rates. As we continued to gravitate towards a more normal environment, we saw improvements in our variable revenues such as parking and income from our hotel in Yorkville. While these these variable items are well off their pandemic bottoms, they are not yet back to full income-generating capacity. However, the current trend is indicative that we are well on our way. Our bad debt expense also continued to shrink towards more normal levels. We also talked about the strength and value of real estate assets of FCR's caliber in the private markets. This has only been further validated since our last quarterly call. In 2021, we have sold or are, or are under firm agreement to sell roughly $480 million of real estate. Several of these are non-core income producing properties such as Langley Mall and our properties in Airdrie, Alberta. And the balance are mixed use developments in Toronto, namely Station Place, King Highline, and Christie Cookie. In these properties, we chose to sell a partial interest to residential focus partners being Centurion REIT, Woodbourne, and Pemberton Group. A recognition of both the future value of these properties and the importance we attribute to aligned strategic partners. To put our NAV and property sales into context, let's go back to when the pandemic started. Our NAV was $23.39 at the end of 2019, our highest NAV ever up to that point. Then the pandemic struck early in 2020. We were proactive and wrote several of our assets down to reflect what was going on. During 2020, our NAV hit a low point of $22.24, which is a similar level to where we started this year. But a lot has happened since then. Excluding Christy Cookie, the aggregate IFRS value of this year's property sales, including some that are subject to firm agreements with imminent closings, is $257 million. This is relative to a total sale price of those same assets of $330 million. This creates $0.35 cents per unit of NAP. Christy Cookie added an additional $0.80 per unit of NAV, taking the total NAV creation to $1.15 per unit from property sales alone. That's a lot of annual NAV creation from a pretty small subset of the portfolio. Christy Cookie certainly sways this metric, but even excluding it, the premium to NAV is significant at nearly 30%. Many view these dispositions as a means to lower the debt impact on our balance sheet, which they did, but our view is somewhat more strategic. Since 2019, we have been consistently working to improve the quality of our portfolio and setting FCR up for an even brighter future. The result of which has seen XCR, FCR exit virtually all secondary markets, such as Quebec City, Windsor, Trois-Rivieres, Sherbrooke, and Red Deer to provide some examples. In Ottawa, we reduced our invested capital without compromising our operating scale by bringing in non-managing partners on assets we owned 100% of. We also sold a number of suburban properties where we believed that the future upside was more limited, such as Halton Hills Village and McLaughlin Corners in Brampton. At the same time, we work diligently to add to our urban portfolio in order to create even stronger positions in these thriving neighborhoods. With tuck-in acquisitions such as 1855 Leslie at Leslie and York Mills, as well as 138 Yorkville and 121 Scholar, both of which Geordie will provide an update on.
4: During this relatively short
3: period of time between 2019 and today, we have disposed of roughly 15% of our portfolio with all of our IPP dispositions being off the very bottom. At the same time, we invested and expanded our portfolio by roughly 10% during that time, with all of that capital invested into the top portion of our asset base. The cumulative impact of these activities resulted in a 25% churn of the portfolio. This is very significant and has effectively converted the bottom of our portfolio into a position of strength, both demographically and, ultimately, financially. Furthermore, our alliances with strategic partners brings both capital and pertinent expertise to our projects. Finally, the majority of this transition was completed quietly during the pandemic. Yes, we sold numerous assets, but more importantly, we improved our asset base so that it has even more powerful long-term earnings potential in Canada's most sought-after markets and neighbourhoods. This is one of the biggest differences between FCR and our peers. There are two main components of our portfolio today. Exceptionally strong, stable, grocery anchored centres in primary markets. These are typically situated in top-tier suburbs such as Vaughan, Mississauga, and Oakville, to use GTA examples. While the urban boundaries haven't changed, markets like these have demonstrated resiliency and became stronger as lifestyles adjusted as a result of the pandemic. While we believe some of this phenomenon is dissipating, we also believe some of the more permanent societal changes will result in a strengthening of the suburban markets within our portfolio today. This increases the opportunity set for FCR, given roughly 70% of our portfolio is situated in these top tier neighborhoods. We will look to continuously improve the value of our existing centers, whether it be through merchandising mix enhancements, property improvements, or redevelopment. It is our intent to add more of these centers to the portfolio as well. The other part of our business, is generally grocery-anchored, primarily mixed-use properties in Canada's super-urban neighbourhoods. Examples include Yorkville and Liberty Village, two large ones that alone represent 15% of FCR's total portfolio. Pandemic restrictions and remote work impacted our super-urban assets more than our top-tier suburban grocery-anchored portfolio. However, we are clearly seeing even more recovery momentum In these super urban assets especially our residential rental properties. We also believe for the same reasons pre-pandemic that these markets will be the most popular in terms of where people want to live work and socialize and we remain exceptionally well positioned in that regard as well. It's clear that FCR's properties whether top-tier grocery anchorage centers or mixed-use super urban assets have never been worth more than they are today. With the world's attention focused on Glasgow this week at the COP26 climate summit, it is clear that our collective efforts related to ESG and the actions we take over the next decade are vital. In Q3, we continue to advance our own ESG goals. In particular, we have made significant progress on our GREV score. I'm pleased to announce that we ranked number one in our retail peer group. We continue to make steady progress year over year. And I'd like to call out a special thanks to our sustainability and operations teams for their excellent work in driving this achievement. Our Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Council continues to be very busy with a focus on increasing knowledge, awareness, and sharing within our team and recently hosted two important keynote speakers, one on raising awareness to living with invisible disabilities and the other on Indigenous inclusion. In recognition of Canada's National Truth and Reconciliation Day on September the 30th, First Capital employees were offered a special learning certificate program provided by the First Nations University of Canada to promote a renewed understanding between Canadians and First Nations. And a final note today, our public art program. This quarter we reveal two new installations in Toronto. At our Young and Roselawn site, FCR engaged three young student illustrators from the Ontario College of Art and Design to paint a mural depicting a positive message of inclusion, diversity and hope. This piece has brought a dynamic vibrancy to the corner which was formerly a vacant lot but has now become a community gathering place with local food trucks and pop up entertainment while we await redevelopment. At 3080 Young, our Loblaw City Market grocery anchored mixed use property at the corner of Young and Lawrence in Toronto, Lighten Up, our most recent public art commission, depicts massive eye catching steel balloons suspended above the entrance of the property. These two installations bring our total to 30 public art installations across FCR's portfolio. We look forward to providing more updates on ESG in the future, and in the meantime, we encourage you to please visit our enhanced public art and ESG pages on our website. And With that, I will now turn things
5: over to Neil. Thanks, Adam, and good afternoon, everyone. For my prepared remarks today, I will begin by referring to slide six of the quarterly conference call presentation. Uh, This presentation is, of course, available on our website at FCR.ca. Q3 2021 funds from operations was 59.0 million, or 27 cents a unit. This represented an increase of 1% over Q3 2020's 58.1 million, which was 26 26 cents on a per unit basis. As detailed on slide six, Q3 net operating income of 104 million increased by two million from the prior year. The NOI increase was comprised of approximately four million of same property growth, offset by 1.3 million of lost NOI related to disposition activity and a year-over-year decline of $700,000 in straight-line rent. In this regard, we did write off a straight-line rent balance during the third quarter of 2021 to the tune of 1.6 million. Notably, if one is to exclude this non-cash charge-off, then FFO and FFO per unit growth was otherwise plus 4%. Q3 interest and in other income of $2.7 million declined by approximately $400,000 year over year. This was primarily due to reduced interest income owing to lower loans receivables, offset by a small increase in other income. Q3 GA expenses of $7.8 million increased by $1.2 million year over year. This is a sizable increase in percentage terms but as we previously indicated, $8 million per quarter is a good near-term run rate as we return to a more normalized business cadence and we return to office. Collectively, our other gains, losses and expenses, or OGLE for short, these tend to cause some periodic variability in our reported FFO. As detailed on slide eight, OGLE amounts were not material in either Q3 of 2021 or the comparable 2020 period. As such, they were really of little to no consequence to reported FFO or the year-over-year growth rate in FFO. While not detailed specifically in the conference call deck, I will make a few comments about the sequential results from Q2 to Q3. In short, the underlying results were very steady. Excluding OGLE amounts, Q2 2021 FFO was $800,000 lower than the Q3 results. Quarter to quarter, NOI was steady at $104 million in both quarters. Interest and other income was up slightly quarter over quarter, and corporate expenses were down slightly. Again, were it not for the one off charge off of straight line rent, FFO would otherwise have been $61 million this quarter. 4% sequential increase. Moving to some of our operating metric performance, beginning with slide 9. As mentioned, Q3 same property NOI growth was approximately $4 million or plus 4.2%. Same property lease termination fees were modest at approximately $500,000 in each of Q3 of this year and Q3 of last. Thus, the termination fees had no real impact on same-property NOI growth. Same-property bad debt expense was $1.3 million in Q3 of 2021, which was $1.5 million lower year-over-year. Therefore, Q3 same-property NOI growth, excluding lease termination receipts and bad debt expense, was plus 2.6%. This core organic growth rate was driven largely by growth in rents given that occupancy was stable. You can see this by turning to slide 10. FCR's Q3 period end and period average occupancy were both 95.9%. This occupancy is within 10 to 20 basis points of the Q3 2020 statistic and is very steady versus Q2 of this year. Turning to slide 11 and extending a theme that has been consistently positive, Q3 leasing velocity remains strong. Renewal leasing volumes were 466,000 square feet in the quarter, and these were affected at an average rent of $23.16 per square foot. This equated to an increase of 8.8% when measuring the first-year renewal rent relative to the rent in the final year of the expiring lease. As referenced on slide 10 during the third quarter we transferred 67 million dollars of properties from development to income producing status this included 22,000 square feet of commercial area plus approximately one-half of the 333 residential suites at our station place mixed-use project in Etobicoke which remains early on in its lease up phase On September 1st, we did crystallize a significant development profit, as we brought in a residential managing partner by selling half of our interest in station place. Turning to slide 13, where we provide some data on our rent collections. With restrictions easing and our tenants operating more broadly, we are seeing positive trends in rent collections and accounts receivable we collected 97% of our Q3 gross billed rent. This collection rate is 160 basis points higher than the 95.4% statistic that we provided with respect to Q2 rent collection in our early August conference call. If we look back at Q2 today, we also note that collections for that quarter have increased to above 96% and just as notably, we continue to make progress on other prior period rent collections this can be seen in our accounts receivable in note 7 to the q3 financial statements you can see that our september 30th 2021 tenant receivable balance is 32.5 million this ar balance has declined by 8.8 million or 21% from 41 million at june 30th for information purposes, slide 14 outlines our ACFO derivation payout metrics. In Q3 and uh, on a year-to-date basis for 2021, our FFO payout ratio is running at approximately 40%. Our ACFO payout ratio, which is de- derived from results for the four quarters end of September of 21, is at 52%. In gross dollar terms, this equates to $242 million of ACFO relative to $126 million of cash distributions, thus equating to $116 million of retained cash. To provide some context on capital deployment, we've summarized some numbers for you on slide 15. We invested $46 million into development, leasing, and residential development during the third quarter. Most of this capital was invested into assets located in Toronto and Montreal. Turning to financing activities, on August 1st, we paid off a $37 million mortgage on our Meadowlark shopping center in Edmonton. This mortgage carried an interest rate of 4.4%. And along with $7 million of principal amortization, this brought our nine-month debt repayment to $259 million. Slides 17 and 18 of the conference call deck summarize some of our debt and liquidity metrics. During Q3, we extended our primary unsecured operating facility for an additional three years and we incorporated sustainability-linked features into that line of credit. This $450 million revolver now matures in mid-2026 versus mid-2023 previously. The cost of funding for the extended term remains unchanged from prior. We also secured a new $100 million bilateral three-year revolving credit facility at a lower cost of funds. This facility matures on August 31st of 2024. Overall, our September 30th liquidity position was $725 million and this included $45 million of cash, and 680 million of availability on our $800 million of unsecured revolving credit facilities. At the end of Q3, the REIT had 7.3 billion of unencumbered assets, representing 72% of the balance sheet. Notably, that unencumbered asset pool increased from 7.0 billion at June 30th. On the disposition front, Held-for-sale assets had a value of $279 million at September 30th. This is $98 million lower than June 30th. However, during the quarter, we sold assets having an aggregate value of $171 million. In wrapping up my remarks, I will also note that since quarter end, we have completed income property sales with an aggregate value of $73 million. And by the end of this month, we anticipate completing additional sales at a value of $72 million. Moreover, with cash coming in the door, just this week, we prepaid $84 million of mortgages that formerly had 2022 maturity dates. Along with reducing our debt, this further increases our unencumbered asset pool and lowers our secured debt-to-total assets ratio. That concludes my remarks, and I will now turn the call to FCR's Chief Operating Officer, Jordy Robbins, to provide some additional comments on the leasing environment and our investment and development
6: activities. Jordi? Thanks, Neil, and good afternoon. Q3 was what I would describe as a very positive quarter. As you've heard from Neil and Adam, operationally, our assets continue to perform well based on all measurable KPIs. Specifically, this past quarter, we made meaningful strides advancing our leasing program, our development program, and our disposition program, demonstrating the strength of our real estate and the depth of the demand for our assets. Let me start with leasing, as it's one of the most significant drivers of organic growth and is an important leading indicator for our business. In Q3, we completed approximately 700,000 square feet of lease deals made up of 215,000 square feet of new deals and 466,000 square feet of renewals at an average rent of $23.16 per square foot. We also have a very robust pipeline of leases under negotiation, including over a million square feet of renewals, 360,000 square feet of new deals, and 130,000 square feet of executed deals with possession dates outside of this quarter. In total, over 1.5 million square feet of lease deals in the pipeline, which is consistent with our pre-pandemic statistics. This positive impact on our leasing pipeline is correlated to the easing of the pandemic-related restrictions across the country. Simply put, tenants perform better when they're open. Less obvious, perhaps, is that travel restrictions that were in place during the last 18 months precluded representatives of international tenants from touring our assets or the neighborhoods in which we operate. Without access to the premises, leasing velocity in some of our neighborhoods was impacted. With those restrictions now minimized, we are once again able to showcase our space to those same tenants, and the interest for it appears to be deeper now than ever before. In Yorkville, for example, this past week we opened the Miami-based multi-brand luxury retailer The Webster in a 6,500-square-foot heritage building that we own located at 121 Scholar. The Webster has quickly emerged as one of the most prestigious and coveted luxury concepts in the world. They're committed to delivering unique and curated experiences for their clients. This philosophy is reminiscent of our own with respect to the neighbourhoods in which we invest. What's more, given the brand's prominence amongst its peers, the addition of the Webster has served as a catalyst for other luxury brand retailers to locate in Yorkville. Many of these international retailers have Toronto on their radar, but have been prohibited from visiting and from doing business here. So the impact from the recent change to travel restrictions was immediate. This past quarter, we entered into a deal with a to-be-announced major international fashion house who owns one of the hottest luxury brands in the world today. Opening in Q4, this brand will occupy the 7,000 square feet of space formerly leased to Diesel that sits adjacent to Chanel on Yorkville Avenue. It will start with an exclusive holiday activation and then transform the space into their flagship location in Canada. Next quarter, we'll be able to share more on this tenant on several other exciting luxury retailers we're working with in Yorkville. While the pandemic has caused tremendous individual and economic pain for all around the globe, we have seen some silver lining as it relates to our business and the tenant mix of our portfolio in particular. Specifically, we lost a number of tenants in the initial months of the pandemic, but we've since been able to re-merchandise most of this space with tenants of similar use, but with stronger covenants. The result for FCR is more resilient retail centers with the same necessity-based merchandising. We're able to drive this demand as opportunities for retailers to lease space in the neighborhoods that we are invested is rare, given the scarcity of product. Here in Liberty Village, for example, we're replacing a 3,000 square foot independent restaurant with a Chipotle who took possession of their premises in Q3 and who will pay meaningfully more in rent than the tenant they're replacing. Other tenants capitalizing on this opportunity to locate in Liberty Village include Noto Restaurant, who will take position, possession excuse me, of a 6,300-square-foot unit in Q4, and another, to be announced, exceptionally well-known, Quick Service Restaurant, who have leased a 3,300-square-foot 3, unit, and who will take possession of their premises in Q1 2022 when you step back and reflect in liberty village alone we've upgraded the use and the quality of the covenant in three spaces all at higher rents this opportunity for fcr would not have been possible but for the extraordinary circumstances experienced over the last year and a half during this past quarter we made great strides addressing one of our largest opportunities as well at fairview mall in st Catharines, we finalized leases with three national retailers staples PetSmart and Winners, to occupy the majority of the former 100,000 square foot Walmart box. In addition to improving the center's offering with these high-demand uses, the new tenants will pay market gross rents that are almost two times greater than the rent Walmart paid. PetSmart and Staples took possession of their respective premises in Q3, and we expect all three tenants will open in 2022. This past quarter, we made exciting progress with our active development projects as well. At Wilderton, our mixed-use project located in Neige, Montreal, continues to progress. Metro and PharmaPre took possession of their premises in Q2 of this year, and SAQ and Dollarama took possession of their space in Q3. All these tenants will be open to the public in the first quarter of 2022. Once open in their new space, we will commence demolition of their former premises which will then allow us to begin the development of the 200,000 square foot final phase. Here in Toronto, Shoppers Drug Mart and PetSmart both opened uh, in the third quarter in the recently constructed 60,000 square foot addition to our Leaside Village Centre. 98% of this space in the building is now leased. An adjacent pad is 75% leased and under construction. Possession for these tenants in this new pad will occur in Q4 this year. We received our demolition permit for 138 Yorkville in the third quarter as well. Demolition of the interior of the existing structure is currently underway, and we aim to commence shoring and excavation for the approved 313,000 square foot luxury residential and retail development in the first half of 2022. We continue to maintain high conviction in this neighborhood and in this investment specifically, as the property is one of, if not the best, luxury condominium sites in the country. In addition to the projected profitability of the investment, 138 Yorkville will serve to improve the functionality of our already significant ownership position in the neighborhood, which includes Yorkville Village, the Hazleton Hotel, and the street front retail along Yorkville Avenue. We've designed 138 so that it will integrate with Yorkville Village and the hotel, adding potentially a new anchor tenant to our mall And several new exterior points of ingress and egress, which will improve circulation, visibility, and accessibility. In short, consistent with our strategy, we are realizing significant efficiencies and are making meaningful improvements to our assets as a result of our aggregated ownership position in Yorkville. Turning to investments, you'll recall we had secured an option to purchase our former partners 50% interest in 2150. Lakeshore for approximately $56 million. In Q3, we closed on the sale of this 50% interest to Pemberton for $156 million. Pemberton's deep residential development, community building, and large-scale construction expertise will be a critical asset for the expected 7.5 million square feet of residential, retail, commercial, and the significant community uses contemplated. Pemberton is now fully engaged and aligned as our 50% partner and as our development manager. As expected, they've already proven to be an incredible addition to our team and will be an important part of the transformation of the property into a sustainable and inclusive, master-planned, mixed-use, transit-oriented neighborhood. In Q3, we closed the sale of a 50% interest in station plates to Centurion Apartment Station Place is a purpose-built rental property located in Toronto at Dundas Street West and Auckland Road. The sale price for Station Place was well in excess of our costs, allowing us to crystallize significant development profit. What's more, with Centurion as manager, we were able to add residential expertise to manage the property and a partner to share the initial lease risk. The building houses 333 rental apartment units, and 43,000 square feet of retail, anchored by a Farm Boy who opened last month. As a result of the transaction, First Capital's effective stake in the property was reduced from 70.8% to 35.4%. During the quarter, we sold a 16.66% interest in our King Highline project to Woodborne, a Canadian developer, operator, and investor in newly constructed residential rental properties. King Highline consists of 506 residential suites atop a three-story podium. Concurrent with our closing, Woodbourne purchased CapReach's 33 and a third percent interest. So today, Woodbourne and First Capital each own 50 percent of the residential component. We wish to thank Capri for their partnership and want to welcome Woodbourne and the expertise they will provide as we move forward. The property also consists of approximately 160,000 square feet of retail space in which FCR retained 100% interest. The retail commercial portion of the development is 100% leased to a variety of necessity and service-based retailers, including Longo's, Canadian Tire, Shoppers Drug Mart, Winners, WeWork, Kids & Co., McDonald's, and PetSmart. Moving west to Alberta, during Q3, First Capital sold 100% interest in our assets in Airdrie, The properties have 250,000 square feet of net rentable area and are currently 95% leased. Last, during Q3, First Capital entered into a binding agreement to sell 100% interest in Langley Mall, located in Langley, British Columbia. The current demographic statistics surrounding Langley Mall are notably inferior to First Capital's overall demographic profile. Early in 2020, one of the property's former anchors failed due to the pandemic. Given the below-market rental rate of this tenant, the removal of their encumbrance provided for an opportunity to sell this asset for a very significant premium to its IFRS value. Another unexpected silver lining. Closing of the sale is scheduled to occur by year-end 2021. Based on the work we've done and the pipeline of activity underway, we remain excited and engaged about the trajectory of our business and the opportunity that exists to grow FFO both organically and through the continued intensification of our assets. And with that, operator, we can now open it up to questions
7: Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.
0: Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
1: Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. When prompted by the system, please clearly state your name to register your question. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star 2. Press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. <coughs> Our first question, please go ahead.
8: Victor, thank you.
9: Hello. Hi, Victor.
8: Yeah, hello. Thank you very much for uh, doing that. I have a question uh, regarding uh, pr- governmental programs. So, do you have a sense of what percentage of your GLA still qualified for SERS upon expiry last month? And what percentage may qualify for the two new governmental programs you highlighted in your MDNA that will replace SERS through the May 2022?
3: Yeah, thanks thanks victor uh, it's a question we've been asked many times um as you know the the new programs provide a little less transparency for the property owner uh so it's all anecdotal and uh, a function of direct uh discussions that we've had with our tenants uh which has been in depth uh, at, at this point in the pandemic uh based on what we know uh, very very few uh, of our tenants are uh, recipients of uh, government support under that program Uh, and with the with the uh, uh, easing of restrictions in the second half of this year in our largest market which is toronto uh slash ontario um, we, we, our view on uh, the the change or ending of the government subsidy program is something we expect uh, 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 to have a, a very immaterial impact on our business, if any. Um, so, we, we, our understanding is very few of our tenants uh, are, are uh, if any, are are still participating in that program, and certainly looking forward. Uh, that would be the view as well.
8: Yeah, thank you very much. And probably as a quick follow up. Historically, your Q1 occupancy, uh, on average, has been 20 basis points below your Q4 occupancy, going back to 15 years or so. Which is interesting, uh, is that then it recovered from Q2 to Q4 of that year. So I I understand that you don't have a crystal ball in, but based on what you are seeing in your portfolio today, how comfortable are you in commenting on what this season, Q1 versus Q4 occupancy change, Maybe relative to historical precedent
5: hi Victor it's Neil Downey speaking um, you know that 20 basis points is, a, is an interesting I guess statistic that you raise and and possibly one that that we're not even aware of um, you know we, we have not seen uh, by our numbers any meaningful seasonality in the occupancy rate to our business um, You know, our business is not one in which there is a seasonal sales build or uh, historically, you know, a a Q1 season in which there's an abnormal amount of tenant failures. Um, And if you look at simply the top 40 list of our tenants, I think you will only see two retailers in that top 40 list that could even be, you know, classified as fashion in any way, and that would be Nordstrom and Williams-Sonoma. And that top forty list is, in many ways, you know, a proxy for what the entire business looks like in terms of one that is really focused on everyday essentials, uh, everyday needs, and and regular weekly visits. So uh, we don't see a seasonal effect. Uh, what we have articulated, however, is that, uh, you know, we've spoken about a couple of Walmarts in the portfolio where they will be uh, not in occupancy. uh, One in Calgary that uh, is out of occupancy as of today. And so that's something that we're dealing with and we're feeling overall pretty good about our ability to uh, not not suffer too much diminution in our Q4 occupancy rate, uh, notwithstanding that Walmart vacancy. And then we do have another one that's effective January 1st as well uh it is less obvious that that will actually impact our occupancy rate because we're we're more than likely to to demolish the entire building and uh and build something brand new for uh for a new tenant
8: yeah thank you thank you very much that was uh helpful and probably just a quick question on, on balance sheet so uh in general so completing the assets held for sale would mean that you've achieved more than 100% of your 1.5 billion goal, uh, but leverage remains still uh, above your goal levels. So how uh, important it is uh, internally to maintain your existing credit ratings across each of your three providers, and what's your strategy on, on that?
3: Yeah, so, so uh, you're, you're right. The, uh, the initial disposition, uh, I guess we'll call it target, has been achieved. Um, I mentioned in uh, the prepared remarks uh, what a massive uh, transition has taken place in the portfolio. And inherently, we have a different portfolio today uh, than when we started that. And so, um, you know, we've been clear that uh, as that transition has unfolded, um, that we, we've said that when we get to, uh, you know, get to assets, whatever that number is going to be. Inherently, the debt to EBITDA number will be slightly higher than it previously was because we have called uh, lower quality slash higher yielding assets in favor of higher growth uh, assets. And so inherently, that's what happens. Um, you know, we've gone through the worst 18 months uh, the business has ever faced. Uh, there was not one second during that time period where anyone on the management team or board uh, was concerned about uh, liquidity, solvency, meeting our obligations. Uh, even early on when many tenants were unfortunately opportunistic in holding back rent, no one got paid late from FCR. Um, and so that, that spoke volumes to us, so very comfortable from certainly a solvency liquidity perspective. Um, and today, we're sitting here with um, a portfolio that we're much happier with, uh, and so our approach to dispositions uh, is shifting to be more opportunistic Uh, One of the things that means is that there will be an even greater discipline around securing premium pricing for the right assets to sell. And, you know, when I look at some of the asset sales we did this year, like Langley Mall and Airdrie, uh, when you look at the real estate, the strategic fit or lack thereof, and specifically the pricing, we would have sold those no matter what. If we had no leverage on our balance sheet, we would have sold those assets at those prices. So that that's a bit uh around how uh we're viewing it. Um and so
8: I hope that answers your question. Yeah sure sure it's really helpful. Thank you very much and I turn it over to others. Thank you. Thank you very much, Victor
1: Thank you. The next question, please go ahead.
9: Jenny Ma.
10: Hi, good afternoon. Hi Jenny. I just wanted to ask about your outlook for the redevelopment portfolio. You guys completed a pretty uh, big amount throughout 2020 and 2021. So that pipeline on the active developments is is looking a little bit thinner. Can you give us some uh, outlook on you know what you're seeing within the portfolio and, and maybe quantum and timing of what you expect on the redevelopment front?
3: Yeah yeah, Jordi uh, will give you some specifics because obviously it's it's a very dynamic part of our business and we have a bunch of things being completed and we're on the verge uh, of starting a bunch of others while uh, there are some that uh, continue to uh, progress that have been active uh, both over the past year and into next year uh, but in terms of the quantum uh you know the the short term call it in the next 1 to 2 years the investment in uh, our development program is likely to be in the range of 150 to 200 million, uh, depending on a number of factors, but that's kind of uh, a decent set of goalposts for you to work with. And um, on the assumption uh, part of your question, uh, which if you can just confirm this, Jenny, is part of your question, what are the next uh, series of properties that will undergo redevelopment in the near term? uh, Was that part of your question? You know
10: what? I don't think that it's a specific properties The quantum is helpful. Maybe um, if you can elaborate on what your expected returns might be. Um, I know in the past, it kind of hovered in around 5%. Of course, it varies by property. But is that still something that, that you think you can achieve for future redevelopment and development projects?
3: Yeah, in general, we do. Uh, obviously, we're seeing a different... Uh, return profile for assets that are more heavily weighted to residential rental where uh, the expected going in unlevered returns on day one of completion is lower than that. Um, we're also of the view that uh, even if the yields are thin initially, uh, we have proven, I mean our first residential development was over a decade ago and the rents in place today are more than double what they were then. So. Uh, we've made a lot of money on residential rental uh, uh, beyond the point of completion of the development, and uh, in today's environment, uh, clearly that's an approach one we believe must take if uh, you're being realistic. Uh, so on those, they they would be lower, but certainly uh, where there's a meaningful retail component, yeah, that that would be that would be a good ballpark.
10: Okay, and is it fair to assume that the the weighting of RESI development would be similar to what's in the pipeline overall, so kind of, you know, in that 75%, 80% range? Yes. Great. Okay. Um, I'm looking at the variable income that you guys had mentioned, and maybe this question is for Neil. Um, there's, there's not a lot of uh, transparency in sort of what the inputs are, and that's okay, but when we're thinking about you know, the number that was achieved this quarter, which was pretty healthy at almost $7 million, like what do you think the delta between that and full potential would be? Um, if I look back in, in sort of the pre-pandemic quarters in 2019, it was tracking, you know, in and around $7 million. Is, is the, the bucket for this line item different in terms of the composition? Like how should we think about the potential upside? Um, and whether or not there's any seasonality involved in this number as well, given that there's the hotel?
5: Um, Yeah, thanks, Jenny. Uh, There there is a bit of seasonality from the hotel. Um, On the flip side, there's also a bit of seasonality from things like parking, if you think around about holiday sales and the like. Um, You know, if if you want to kind of shortcut the answer, we're probably still running at around 50 or 60% uh, in terms of an NOI contribution as to where those variable revenue streams would have been circa 2019. So, you know, Adam did make some comments about variable revenues are recovering, but equally uh, we believe there's there's still good recovery potential uh, in those revenue streams.
3: And the only other, other thing to keep in mind, Jenny, is that, uh, you know, going back to Jordy's uh, theme of silver linings uh, and some opportunities that arose, one of them was the opportunity for us to acquire the remaining 40% interest in the hotel we didn't own. So um, when we're fully recovered, even on, you know, if you achieve the same level of contribution, given um, the size of the variable revenue pool, that, that that actually does swing it a bit. So just something to keep in mind.
10: Right, right. Okay. So so really, you're looking at a different composition going forward versus 2019 then. So there's more room for that number to improve.
3: Yeah, mainly, mainly from the hotel component.
10: Okay, great. That's very helpful. Thank you. I'll turn it back.
9: Okay, great. Thanks, Jenny.
10: Thank you.
1: Our next question, please go ahead.
9: Sam Demiani.
4: Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. And I uh, just wanted to talk about dispositions. The $279 million held for sale, is that all expected to close in the fourth quarter? How much would likely slip into Q1? And just beyond that, are you teeing up more assets for disposition in the near term and how should we think about your, I guess, your expected leverage uh, ratio over the next uh, couple quarters?
3: So the, the majority, Sam, of uh, the, those dispositions held for sale are scheduled to close in Q4, but not all of them. Uh, some of them are scheduled to close in Q1. Um, you know, To the extent you'd like it, we can give you something more specific on that front offline. I don't have the number handy. Um, You know, in terms of dispositions, uh, uh, I'll elaborate on, you know, what I uh, said to Victor is that uh, we're we're a lot happier with how the portfolio stands right now. There's definitely uh, been a shift over the course of 2021 as it's progressed uh, to a more and more opportunistic mindset around that. Um, Again, not which assets we would consider selling, but more the price that we would require to sell them. And so that, that, that has certainly continued. In terms of uh, our leverage metrics, they continue to drift down. Um, part of that has been the disposition activity. Uh, the bigger part, uh, looking forward, is going to be the full recovery of some elements of the business from, uh, that have been impacted by the pandemic. Um, and so what we would expect is a continual, gradual decline in those leverage metrics.
4: Okay, and just kind of related to that, you've got a, a fairly lengthy pipeline of zoning entitlements and uh, expected, uh, expected approvals of, of new zoning entitlements. What is your plan for this growing pipeline in terms of uh, realizing value for, for the REIT in terms of either selling the asset, selling the density, developing as condo or rental? What's, what's the, I guess, the, the priority over the next 12 months on that, in, in that regard?
3: The priority is to increase the value of those properties. That's the priority, uh, number one. From there, it gives us a lot of optionality, and it will be a mix in terms of what we do with those. Uh, The mix will be selling the density outright where it makes sense, uh, selling a partial interest in the density to someone who brings uh, an expertise that we view is very beneficial to the uh, risk-return profile of the development, Uh, and in some cases, we'll develop it uh, on our own. Um, what we do in terms of where assets end up in each of those buckets is going to depend on a variety of factors uh, that uh, we, we will review closer to the time when the option for each of those assets uh, materializes. Um, condo versus rental, we, we, have, we definitely have a bias uh, towards rental. Um, you know, we talked about this on, on previous conference calls where uh, condominium development is um, not a perfect fit by any stretch in a public company structure. We get penalized with the debt uh, through the development and lots of people, uh, lots of analysts uh, like to focus on our debt much more than we do. Um, But uh, that's a reality. It does put pressure on your debt metrics and uh, we live with the the implications of that. But on completion, regardless of how much money we make, it gets discounted because it's not a recurring income stream. So not a perfect fit for how uh, the capital markets view real estate companies. In several cases where it's strategic, we, we do do it and we will continue to undertake it, but there's a strong strong bias towards rental and I think if you look forward at our activities, uh, we would expect the, that the majority of the residential we do uh, fits into the rental category versus condo category.
4: That's great. Uh, I will turn it back. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Sam.
1: Thank you, once again, please press star one on your devices keypad if you have a question, and when prompted by the system, please clearly state your name to register your question. The next question, Tammy Beer, please go ahead, your line is open.
11: Uh, Thanks, Inar, everyone. Um, Just maybe rounding out the disposition discussion again, um, as we think about maybe the program over the next call it twelve months or so, sh- you know sh- given that you've already cycled out a lot of perhaps some of the non-core assets, is it fair to think that you know what what comes up next will be again predominantly density related or perhaps some income producing assets to um, partners uh, of maybe some of your core assets?
3: Well, the short answer probably is we don't know. Um, uh, certainly there's uh, a lot of strategic merit to some of the, the developments where we we do intend to bring in a, what I'll call a strategic partner, um, but you know some of the income-producing stuff will be a function of opportunity, and uh, you know it's not it's not that we don't own any asset that you know uh, you know some of the assets we we do hold we still plan to sell long term, and you know Jordy talked about one which is our asset in St. Catharines. Um, there was an opportunity to reposition the Walmart that vacated uh, just before COVID started. Uh, it's taken a bit longer because of, of the pandemic, but uh, you know that that that's done now. We've secured leases uh, in a manner that are creating a lot of value in that former box. The property will be worth more uh, when we're completed than it was uh, when Walmart was there and we feel that that value uh, may be discounted if it's sold, uh, you know, prior to the full execution, but certainly that's, a, that's an example of an asset that FCR is very unlikely to hold in five years. Um, when we trade out of it will depend on a number of things, but the mindset is opportunistic and that's that's what I would encourage you to, to keep in mind when you think about how we're approaching dispositions uh, looking forward.
11: Got it. Um, And we have seen, you know, as we think about some of the transactions we've seen, or I guess pricing on transactions for just, you know, your sort of bread and butter, grocery anchored uh, properties uh, across Canada, the appetite is still quite strong. Curious if you've seen perhaps pricing change for the types of uh, assets in your portfolio in in, in that group over the past, you know, a few months or at least over the course of this year. Are you seeing any pressure uh, from a cap rate standpoint?
3: You know, we're seeing a lot of pressure. I'm not sure I've ever seen a transaction market this strong uh, for grocery anchored retail uh, and uh, mixed-use uh, properties in cities like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. Uh, you know, we're fortunate those are the two types of assets we own, but um, uh, but I, we, we've never seen pricing stronger for either one of those than what we're seeing today.
11: Got it. Um, maybe just last, last one for me, you know, it sounds like, you know, from a leasing standpoint, the velocity is, it, it does seem quite strong, and um, occupancy is, I think, uh, maybe a bit above your, your long-term average. The leasing spreads are coming in pretty good. Um, so, when you look at, you know, how much further upside do you see from an occupancy standpoint? And then just on the flip side, what might give you some concern on the outlook?
3: Well, I, I mean, we 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 view full occupancy somewhere between call it ninety five and ninety six and a half percent. The 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 highest occupancy level the company's ever achieved is ninety six point nine percent, which was achieved in Q four of twenty nineteen, uh, so just before the pandemic. Um, but you know, we have a dynamic portfolio where we are obsessed with merchandising mix, and so we're we're very proactive in. Uh, where we have the opportunity to turn over space um, uh, to maximize the type of tenant offering that we can provide and maximize rental rates. And so um, inherently, we always have some portion of the portfolio that we're transitioning, um, which is why we view you know full occupancy somewhere in that, call it 95 to 96 percent range. We, we don't really see ourselves uh, veering outside of that range based on what what, what we see going forward. Um and sorry, Pommy, there was another element to your question. I just want to make sure we answer it. If we have Yeah, haven't.
11: No, just yeah, just the, the second part was just, you know, what might give you some concern or maybe a pause in terms of the outlook.
3: Well, <laughs> I mean the <laughs> obvious one yeah. is is we 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 feel like the, the pandemic related restrictions have definitely headed in the right direction, but uh <laughs> the obvious concern is any type of reversal on that front. Um That would be the main concern. Otherwise, we're feeling very good about what's going on at the property level.
11: So you haven't really, uh, I guess, um, maybe one extension to that is you haven't really seen much perhaps change in, I guess, demand from some of the small shop tenants or some of the independents?
3: Uh, We have seen a change. We've seen demand accelerate the last few months, uh, especially in Ontario and Toronto specifically. Okay. Thanks very much. I'll turn it back.
9: Okay, thank you very much, Pommie. Thank you. The next question, please go ahead. Hey,
12: good afternoon, everybody. Hi, Tal. Um, Just a couple of quick questions uh, to start up front. Uh, for the debentures coming up in uh, 2022, or that are maturing in 2022, assuming, Neil, you'll just be looking to refinance those in the market.
5: Well, Tal, I think we have a lot of options given the financial flexibility within the capital structure, our liquidity, and the fact that we continue to have proceeds coming in the door from uh, asset sales uh, in in Q4 and beyond. So, you know, we're uh, we're evaluating our options and we'll uh, we'll address those in due course. Okay. Uh,
12: and then Jordan, I'm just wondering uh, if you can talk a little bit. Um, you know, and this, there's no. Uh, you know some real motive behind this. I'm just trying to get a sense of what's going on on the ground um, Any real geographic differences? You're noticing at all in, in terms of leasing activity across the country because we haven't been able to travel much these days So it's hard to know what's going on everywhere
6: else Yeah, it's a it's a good question tell um, generally speaking uh, We don't see much uh, geographic diversity a uh, uh, Diversity I, I would say Vancouver perhaps uh you know has been strongest because it's been least impacted by uh, lockdowns in particular, but generally speaking, otherwise uh, from a retail perspective uh, uh, the markets appear to continue to be strong and uh, you know tend to operate um, you know similarly
12: okay um and I just wanted to wrap it up with a few questions on zoning. Um, I, I noticed, like, between Q2 and Q3, your uh, zoned entitlements went up in your 2019 vintage applications. Uh, I, I think maybe that's Young and Roselawn. Do I have that correct, or was there
3: some other? Because I think it's up about 600,000 square feet. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't Young and Lawn. It may have been Christie, where we secured more entitlements than we anticipated and included in uh in that chart, but uh, leave that with us, Tal. We'll get we'll confirm offline and get back to you. Okay. And then, uh,
12: if we're just looking at the next 12, 18 months, what are some of the you know critical uh, you know zoning decisions you would expect to see on you know on, on properties and uh, any other you know we've talked before about transit decisions stuff like that. If you can just give us an idea of what what we should be expecting to see over the next over the next while.
6: Uh, probably the the next significant one to come through would would in fact be roselon which uh, we expect in the coming uh, I'll say months uh, it's for all intents and purposes done but it has to be finalized uh, and uh, you know the next uh, tranche will be coming through I would suggest in the next 12 to yeah probably 12 uh, to 15 months um, and that uh, is a tranche we can talk about um m- maybe next call okay um and just lastly um
12: obviously inclusionary zoning's become a kind of a hot topic at city council of late um what are your thoughts sort of with uh what the city's proposing and how you think it might impact your planning going forward
3: uh, look, look inclusionary zoning doesn't work i mean uh that's our view that's we feel that's been proven uh ultimately the cost of uh any diminution of value in portions of the site get passed on to the balance of the site um anything else to add?
6: no, and I think that's that's the frustrating part is the you know the city's view is that uh, they can be treated uh distinctly, and the fact is to adam's point it, it has an overarching impact uh, ultimately uh our position is what we have to figure out a way to increase supply in order to uh address affordability in particular.
3: Yeah, and we know Real RealPAC is working closely with uh, various governments to uh, articulate that fact. Uh, our views, black and white, supply is the only thing that contributes to the affordability issue we have. It makes no sense that from the time we have a site that's designated for the intended use that we have, it's plus or minus seven to eight years before someone's going to live in that. That's not acceptable, uh, given the dynamic in our large cities, but... Uh, especially Toronto. But look, whatever the government ultimately decides, obviously we will work within that framework. Um, and, you know, Real RealPAC is very active trying to articulate the views of the industry in hopes that whatever policies do get implemented uh, achieve their intended purpose. Our view is inclusionary zoning will not do that. And you've talked
12: a bit about um, You know, the density market, or sorry, the market for potential development, uh, you know, right now has been pretty strong. And I'm wondering, like, to what extent, you know, and when you're having these conversations or hearing about what's going on, to what extent is this legislation, like, a factor right now in the decisions that people are making?
3: Well, look, it's it's always a factor that we, we have to consider. Uh, we, we try and consider all factors that could influence either demand uh, 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 of what we have or the value uh, of what we have. And so government policy, uh, especially around housing, is something we pay close attention to uh, for that very reason. So, uh, But it's one of many factors that we consider in making those types of decisions. Okay, that's great. Thanks for the help, Adam. I appreciate it.
9: Okay, very good thank you tom
1: thank you last question please go ahead
9: dean wilkinson good afternoon
11: um, good afternoon dean uh sorry for taking you over the hour uh adam you're in the unique position where you can sell assets at a premium perhaps a substantial premium to nav And you could go into the market and buy your equity at a 25% discount. How are you guys thinking about the potential of that uh, accretion dynamic?
3: Yeah. uh, Well, we're, we're thinking about it. Uh, You know, that, that's for sure. Um, You know, speaking of the discount, the operational and transaction activity that we've achieved, uh, especially this year has been better than we expected. Uh, And when you look at what the business has done and the value that's been created just this year alone. Uh, our unit price is disappointing to say the least. Um, but we're staying focused on executing our plan. Uh, the outsized disconnect between the intrinsic value of our company or the NAV and the stock price is a top priority for management and the board. One thing that we're cognizant of when it comes to selling a material amount of assets to do that is just there's other implications. There are implications on the scale and platform. Um, and other things that really weigh into that fact, uh, which is why we haven't done that to date.
9: Okay, good. That's that's all I had. Thanks. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Dean.
1: Thank you. There are no further questions registered at this time. I'd like to turn the meeting back over to Adam.
3: Okay, thank you very much, and uh, we'd just like to take this opportunity to thank everyone for taking the time today and for their interest in FCR. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.
7: Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with SuperBeats HeartChoose Advanced Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL.
0: Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app.